0: Welcome to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy podcast. With me today is Gordon Whitman, the author of Stand Up, How to Get Involved, Speak Out, and Win in a World on Fire. Gordon Whitman is a senior advisor to Faith in Action, formerly the PICO National Network, working for a just world. He has a bachelor's degree in urban studies and history and a law degree from Harvard University. He has worked as a community organizer. He has worked in university settings. Uh, He has worked on the border. He has worked in many places where there is a moral crisis. And in the book shows us how to confront that moral crisis uh, with creative um, methods and with hope. So welcome, Gordon, to Nothing Never Happens.
1: Thanks, Tina. Good to be here.
0: Well, I really appreciate you doing this, and if I could get you to start by telling us about your background and what got you into community organizing. In, in particular, you write in the book about uh, your experience in Chile in the
1: 1990s. Yeah, I had finished law school. Um, I grew up with um, parents who were first-generation grandparents who came from Eastern Europe, fleeing um, religious oppression. and Mm-hmm. um, family that was, um, killed in the Holocaust,
0: mm-hmm. um, in
1: Eastern Europe. So I grew up on a lot of stories about, um, what happens if you're powerless and, um, mm-hmm. and the need to be involved in, and in the, the decisions that get made government, um, matter to, to people's lives. So I had that upbringing, um, and, and, and I had just finished law school and was on my way to being a lawyer for, for community organizations or doing some kind of civil mm-hmm. rights work. And, I ended up living in Chile um, for a year and it um, was right at the end of the Pinochet dictatorship. And mm-hmm. I got to know and lived with um, people who'd really spent their whole lives fighting that dictatorship and learned a lot um, mm-hmm. from them about um, how you organize based on relationships, how you build trust, um, mm-hmm. yeah. how you organize in situations that um, that it's really life or death. Um yeah if you go to a meeting and, and just saw organizations that were led by by ordinary people. Um, so mm-hmm. I came back to the United States looking for something similar and, and, and that brought me to community organizing and, and walked away from my legal career.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, so from there, um, you started um, doing more grassroots organizing in um, various settings and um, I see you've done work in the sanctuary movement um, and the ongoing civil rights movement. Um, So could you talk some about uh, what resources you brought to that? I mean, I'm seeing things like uh, liberation theology, uh, the history of movement building, in particular the Highlander Folk School uh, and the civil rights movement um, around that. Um, You know, where, uh, what forms the base uh, of your um, of the resources that you bring uh, to this work?
1: So Tina, I learned to organize um, first in Philadelphia, working mm-hmm. um, mostly with parents at public schools in the city that yeah. um, were were not really, you know, for for parents. And if you looked at the data for the schools, not not really providing the kind of education that uh-huh. That children needed. So we 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 would um, work with um, parents to build organizations of parents who would work um, to press for changes in the school. Everything from um,
0: uh-huh.
1: fighting for better lunch lunches and um, and and repairs to roofs that leaked to um, um, shutting down drug houses that were across the street from the school to uh-huh. ultimately working on the curriculum and, and instruction in the schools. Yeah. And, and that, um, I mean, that was a good experience because one, w- w- it just showed me what people are able to accomplish, um, mm-hmm. when they get organized. And, and most of the people involved in that work were, 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 were women who had not had, um, any other really, you know, strong political experience, didn't think mm-hmm. of themselves as activists, but they were very motivated to make sure their kids had a good start in life. And, that motivation really drove them to um, to build organizations, and and then it just changed their lives and their outlook on the world and their sense of their own ability to to create change.
0: Yeah, so you're and that's able really
1: to, what the book is about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you're able to use your own organizing skills in your own context um, of life. Well, I say
1: in the book, it's interesting. I I'm, I'm talk in the book that um, you know I, I I learned organizing before I had children. And um mm-hmm. primarily you know just helping helping parents get better education for their kids and um, we ran some great campaigns to um, get bilingual teachers in schools mm-hmm. that were almost entirely um, Spanish-speaking households sending their kids to those schools. Um, but I, I didn't really fully understand what it meant to have kids until I had my own and yeah. I ended up having a, a son on the autism spectrum and with other special needs, and it really was, um, it was mm-hmm. just so helpful to have learned um, that attitude that that you can't trust the systems um, mm-hmm. to to take care of your kids. You have to make sure that you're you're vigilant and active and um, yeah. in relationship with those systems and and in relationship with other parents. So I've definitely used organizing. And there's a good story at the beginning of the book about a campaign we ran in our own town um, to protect the autism program that my son was in. So. These, mm-hmm. these skills are both, you know, it, it can be about how do we respond to climate change as a, mm-hmm. you know, huge challenge facing our society, but also how do we make sure our kids get a good education? How do we make sure that our neighborhood's safe? Mm-hmm. How, how do we hold local officials accountable? So The book is really everything from, you know, what's on your, your front door and your doorstep to the biggest challenges we're facing as a, as a planet.
0: Yeah, so... There's a lot in the book uh, and I, I consider it kind of um, useful as a grassroots organizing handbook, um, you know, to, to take uh, the reader through, you know, what it is to, to start and the sort of philosophy of uh, working with the people who are closest to the pain uh, in building power. So when you first get started and are, talking to people and trying to raise consciousness um, around shared stories and shared issues. um, What, what are some first steps that you take?
1: Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the book, I, I had this um, strong feeling that I wanted it to be in the motivational section of the bookstore where there are a lot of books, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, it's really meant to be motivational. We have more power than we think. And then the how to that, uh-huh. you know, the main point on where to start is that we don't need to find the perfect person or persuade people to think the way we think. We just have to go and listen to people, listen, share our own story, hear theirs. People, um, especially adults, um, rethink their own um, place in the world and their understanding of how the world works through experience. So, so yeah. one main point of the book is don't worry so much about, um, the perfect um, flyer or, um, or or making sure people think the way you want them to think. just, just connect with people. Don't lecture them, listen to them. And, mm-hmm. and it's through the process of building relationships and engaging in yeah. meaningful action together that people's sense the world grows. That, that's really the starting point. Yeah, we're, we're, too, we're doing too much. I, I think part of you know the critique in the book is that, We're doing too much um, work um, that social change that's too light that asks too little of people that imagine somebody is on a mailing list where they get an email and we call them a member. We're we're really we need to get to that place where people are actually members of organizations where they're meeting face to face, they're connecting to other people, they have control and autonomy over those organizations.
0: Yeah. So starting where people are at, and um, it it seems to draw on uh, some of the uh, common definitions of popular education, that it's the practice of freedom, uh, to use Paulo Freire's definition, and use people as co-learners and co-teachers, that there's not one expert that comes in, uh, and this is the Highlander Center and Project South and others, you know, model, of course, um, that if you uh, start with people around a similar um, story or stories that that's uh, there's no um, one expert that you're using everyone's skills uh, to face a challenge. Um, so, could you reflect uh, with us about uh, some of those um, uh, methods, the creative methods you've used uh, to go? you know, to plan actions for social change. Um, and, um, yeah, and yeah, and what, um, yeah. Some, you know, some concrete examples of what that looks like.
1: Good, and, and there's a chapter in the book that's about team.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, going back to what you said, it, it has a, a section on the experience of um, the social movements in Brazil. And the yeah. role that Christian-based communities played in building a larger social movement,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's really a remarkable story of um, large numbers of small groups that gather, that that were organized and um, became the backbone of a social movement that really helped transform the country. So yeah. that um, that that the creating spaces where people can work together reflect and act together um, is, is really that, that's the, that's the heart of the organizing process. Um, I, I tell a, a one of the stories I tell in the book that is historical, but mm-hmm. I think is a good starting place for understanding the, the patterns of change in art in the United States yeah. is the abolitionist movement. So um, this is such an interesting story that, in the 1830s, um, abolitionists who were working to end slavery in the United States um, looked at their work and, and what was happening in the country around them and decided that what they were doing wasn't working to, to the extent that it needed to. And they yeah. adopted a new strategy, which was to say, um, we are now fighting for the immediate abolition of slavery, and we are um, asking every person, every institution, every politician to make a moral decision whether they're for or against slavery. So the the sort of gradual efforts to end slavery um, hadn't worked. And um, people were looking at slave rebellions and a big moral movement that was growing, a reform movement. They said, we need a new strategy and we need a new organizational structure. And they decided to build chapters all across the country and send out what were essentially organizers. They called them um, lecturers, but they were essentially organizers, um, who traveled the country spreading this message and helping build small, um, groups and societies all across the country. And that, that sort of combination of a moral message, um, grassroots organizing from below, um, mm-hmm. organizers that connected all together has really been the pattern of social change in this country. And you can see it all the way through populism and the, um, civil rights movement so that's a big historical yeah. um, example that I can create the framework for how we think about change today
0: yeah. yeah and of course that was used in the civil rights movement and when you talk about uh, moral movement you know I have to think about uh, the moral revival of the new poor people's campaign that uh, Reverend Liz the Harrison Bishop William Barber are part of you know they're calling for that kind of moral decision making that, of course, King did in 68 um, around economic justice and, and issues of equity uh, around intersectional issues of race, etc. <laughs> and he, I think
1: this is actually a, a really important point, Tina, right now because it has been, we, you know, we've seen this revival of a moral movement and the poor people's campaign as a framework. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a story that I tell in the book about Um, the Memphis sanitation strike um, and the role it played in the civil rights movement. And it was, it was, as people, many people know, um, Dr. King was murdered in, um, in Memphis during that strike. Um, And what's interesting about that story and fascinated me about it was that King had um, Dr. King had um, announced plans for the poor people's movement and had traveled the country trying to engage um, people in this notion of an interracial um, movement focused on ending poverty in the United States. It was a very ambitious agenda and um, was mm-hmm. incredibly frustrated. The history that I've read at the response to that it was really um, spinning his wheels, not getting a lot of traction. Um, yeah. And then the Memphis sanitation strikers, <laughs> the Memphis sanitation uh-huh. workers who'd been told by their union asked me not to go on strike decided they'd had enough and they went on strike and um, they ended up mobilizing the black community and Memphis behind them. And the strike became a national international um, news story. And then King came and King really found the poor people's movement in Memphis. And, and I think it's a good lesson for how we think about change that sometimes we think oh we can just sit in a room somewhere and come up with an idea and explain it to people and people will get behind it um and it's a, it's a big pattern of yeah you know how people think about change this is not the way things work that it was no accident that the poor people's movement really found its 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 life and energy in a specific place yeah and came out of a struggle that was led by people most directly impacted um so I, I, it's just a reminder that local doesn't have to stay local, but that's where change happens in places. And it's yeah. connecting that and helping people see the connections and the larger issues, um, that, that is how we create larger scale change.
0: Yeah. And, and to take the new poor people's movement as an example further, uh, you know, they're connecting issues around, um, reproductive justice and labor movements, um, and also war, and connecting it as King did, you know, kind of a full circle with poverty uh, issues, redefining democracy from below rather than from above. Uh, So um, could you talk more about these creative methods and and sort of the training that Faith in Action does with uh, various groups of you know, pastors and, and local activists and uh, people who are concerned about particular issues. When they, when they gather for a faith in action training, um, could you give some description of, of what people would expect in that kind of training?
1: Super. So faith in action is a network of faith-based organizations yeah. Um, all across the United States and um, in Central America and Haiti and Africa. Um, mm-hmm. So we're working internationally as well as domestically. Our basic mission is to bring people of faith together, to act together across their traditions um, in support of racial and economic justice. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we're we a network. So we um, are led by and, and and funded by and driven by organizations that are um, based in local communities and then at the state level, um, sponsored by religious institutions. So probably 3,000 um, churches, mosques, synagogues, temples that are yeah. um, part of member as members of our our local or organ, state organizations, um, and we're we're basically teaching uh, an approach, a, a model of change that begins with um, an individual reflecting on their purpose in the world. Um, learning and practicing the art of telling your story to another person, listening mm-hmm. to the issues in a community. So large scale listening campaigns, not assuming that people that we know what people want to see change, that we go out and, and, and knock on doors, talk to people at workplaces in their and in, in, in congregations in the community, um, doing research based on what we hear, um, mm-hmm. so teaching people to sit down with their mayors, city council people, bank presidents um, Decision makers, often first time people have had that experience, Um, tremendous experience to realize you can sit face to face with someone who's making important decisions that affect your life and ask them hard questions about what they're doing and why. And then um, the the action step of bringing large numbers of people together to push for changes in policies and systems and structures to get at the root causes of poverty and inequality Um, and then reflecting on that experience to see how did I grow. So there's a, really a, a cycle that we're teaching. It's a they're pretty simple um, simple process. And the book is really built around these five conversations yeah. um, that we all can engage in that are, aren't, aren't um, they're, they're, not, they're not really complicated, but it's so easy for us to take shortcuts. And
0: uh-huh. the book
1: is really an argument against shortcuts, an argument for taking the time to build organizations that really represent the interests of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't assume those interests and then have the capacity to negotiate change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another thing you talk about in the book is um, prophetic resistance in, in this process. And so, you know, you've just described uh, ordinary people facing power uh, and mapping power so that, you know, as a first step to uh, it's a research step to, to facing it. So. Um, do you have any particular stories uh, about the the power issue that would help uh, people understand, um, you know, how uh, the impossible possibility, as Reinhold Niebuhr would call it,
1: uh, can yeah. occur with
0: this facing of power?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you two stories. So one, I've worked for the last um, three, nine years with a, a, a faith um based organization in Indiana that began in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that, that the the congregations that began to get together and explore the potential to build an organization Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: Indianapolis, it's now called faith in Indiana um, Mm -hmm. uh, heard was that people had just terrible time getting to work. So people um, Mm -hmm. in the poorest neighborhoods in Indianapolis could spend two hours getting to jobs or they couldn't get to the places where there were jobs. And it, it, it had a particularly disproportionate wow. impact on the black community. So one of the, the, the decisions they made was to say, let's work to build a public transit system that promotes racial equity and, yeah. and, um, and unity in our city. And yeah. it, it, interestingly, the business community had had a proposal for a while to um to to fund a mass transit system but it hadn't gone anywhere and it didn't have a focus on equity so they negotiated an agreement with the business community um that they would work together but on the condition that the ultimate policy had a very strong racial equity um dimension to it and then organizing bus riders so um organizing people at bus stops and on buses to ask them, what do they want to see change about yeah. the transit system? Um, people could go to the state Capitol, tell their story. So it's really critical that that campaign be led by people who are riding the buses or want to be riding the buses, not by people who think, well, this should be better. And I'm upset about it. So very much important that the the decisions are getting driven by people who have a direct stake. And then the leading religious institutions in the city and um, and um, the, a big segment of the business community that had a common interest in seeing better transit were able to get a bill through the Indiana state legislature signed by now Vice President Pence that mm-hmm. allowed a tax measure to go on the ballot in Indianapolis. In 2016, as challenging an election year as that was, in Indiana, um, the ballot measure passed overwhelmingly. Raising mm-hmm. taxes to fund a billion dollar transit system with a policy that required racial equity and, and, and travel time to, to from home to work. So I think it's a place where, without the years of organizing um, mm-hmm. in Indiana yeah. that, that Faith in Indiana did, that that success that's made it made people's lives much better would not have been possible.
0: Yeah. So that's
1: that's, that's what we're trying to get at.
0: Yeah. So you have to take the time to build. That base, is what you're saying. Yeah, they
1: said, well, we know bus riders have a bad experience. We don't need to talk to them. They would not have been able to persuade the legislature to pass that legislation.
0: Yeah, and in Indiana, it's pretty impressive, <laughs> underpants. <laughs> so, um, well, what kind of uh, challenges uh, is are you facing now? I mean, I know you've uh, written some about um, the, I guess, the new sanctuary movement, uh, and we're reading in the papers all the time about uh, people who leave water out in the desert for um, uh, asylum seekers and, and other immigrants um, that who are crossing the desert that they can face you know enormous prison time. Uh, and so, and then churches who are stepping up as they did in the 1980s. Um, uh, with Central American and other you know dictatorships, and our government support of those driving people here, um, you know they were people who did prison time. So you know these are particular challenges now, and i I mentioned the sanctuary movement, but you might have um, some others that are that are on the radar. Um, if you could talk about you know what are the challenges, you know how you're approaching those challenges, it seem, uh, really, really big and uh, are are not are dangerous for people to participate in.
1: Yeah, Tina, it's a really painful time um, when you um, when you see and, and hear about what's what's being done to to children, to families, um, yeah. kids being um, held in what are essentially large scale prisons, cages. Um, mm-hmm neglected as an intentional strategy of um, the federal government. It, it's, it's really, I think it will go down as one of the um, mm-hmm. the most egregious violations of human rights and, 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 and um, abandonments of the values that this country stands for. So it's very painful to see mm-hmm. what's happening at the border and all across the country. And the mm-hmm. level of fear that exists among people who lived in this country for many, many years yeah. Um it's 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 horrendous. So I, I I think just to start by saying that you know that is pain that um needs to be addressed but um it's a hard time right now. Um we we um a couple things. One um po- after the election um I live in Arlington, Virginia and um
0: mm-hmm. we
1: um you know we we were, we were having lots of conversations with, um, with people in this region and, and with religious leaders. And there was a lot of appetite to look at what, what congregations do to mm-hmm. protect the families in, in their communities and their congregations from deportation. Um, yeah. and it's, people probably know that 60, 70% of people who are, um, undocumented in this country live in families with, with, um, citizen children or citizen family yeah. members or yeah. people with, um, with legal status and, um, so we, we started doing some training and we just had hundreds of people showing up from congregations all across Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, saying we, we want to protect families, we want to provide sanctuary, and we built a sanctuary congregation network that's now called the Congregation Action Network, where the 90 congregations in the D.C. Um, region, and, and they've done a mix of things. Um, some have actually hosted families um, facing deportation. Uh, Mm -hmm. Many have accompanied people to their um, to their um, ICE check ins to keep them from being deported. Mm -hmm. Um, They've educated people about their rights. Um, This story has not get told Mm -hmm. enough, but um, Cardinal Tobin, who is a Catholic cardinal in in Newark, um, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. accompanied. uh, a, a, a grandfather who lived in this country for 26 years told by ICE, "Come with your passport. We're deporting you." Uh. Um, Cardinal Tobin walked with him into his ICE hearing, hmm. um, and, um, and 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 um, that kind of moral leadership. I think it's just a story that's happened more than people think, but um, yeah. doesn't get told um, as much. So I, I think. It, it's it's a, it's a hard time because it, the limits on what we've been able to do have been frustrating. We've also been working very hard through our La Red campaign um, to stop yeah. federal funding for um, detention beds and, and greater enforcement. And it's taken a lot of pressure not only on Republicans, but also on Democrats to not sacrifice and compromise on um, funding for internal enforcement and um increased number of beds to put families and kids um behind bars um yeah for for being here so that that campaign's been really important and i think it's made an important um impact and and it, it's a reminder that um you know underneath all of this is racism mm-hmm. and the reason why that um that the that mexican and guatemalan and and honduran and and, and central american refugees are being treated this way is because of an underlying racism um, against people of color. And Mm -hmm. I think we need to be really clear about how that works, why it works. And if we're engaged in social change, we need to focus on changing the rules, um, Mm -hmm. making making government work more fairly. We also need to, to constantly remind people and tell the story that these ideas that some people are worth more, because of mm-hmm. the color of their skin are are, are wrong, immoral, and mm-hmm. stupid. So mm-hmm. I just it, 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 keeping the, the work of anti-racism at the center of our movement is so yeah. essential. And we can't get knocked yeah. off of that or get some idea that we'll just not mention it and people will forget it. So um, we, we've got to keep anti-racism in the middle of our work.
0: Yeah. Yeah.